Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Bulls Beat Podcast Show, the Chicago Bulls Podcast. Welcome back to another edition of the Bulls Beat. Our buddy Fred Pfeiffer has rejoined us uh, along with Mark K. from Australia. Mark, we can't say your last name, so I went Fred style on you, just, you know, abbreviated it. Maybe I'll call you call you something else. Uh, MK. A fancy MK. MK, yeah, MK. It's sort of like MJ. How about MKOA? What's OA? Of Australia. RK oh. of Australia. <laughs> I thought it was going to be way more insulting. I'm pleasantly surprised that, it, that that's what it was. we got to be honest with you. Uh, so the, the Bulls coming off a maybe somewhat disappointing loss to the Heat and then followed that up with – Maybe I would say the best game of the season against the Charlotte Hornets. Ball on ball action uh, in that one. Mark, how are you doing? And uh, what do you think of the recent performances? Yeah, look, for, for three quarters, it was probably their best offensive performance. And then they started to really lose it in the fourth quarter, where it, I like to think of was it a 23 point lead or a 19 point lead got uh, you know, evaporated down to four points. So, like, that wasn't ideal. It, it continues a theme that the Bulls continue to struggle against his own defense specifically, or more generally, their half-court offense can be uh, susceptible to, you know, going through a serious lulls there. So, I, I'm sure that's a topic we'll touch on, but it's becoming more of a theme over the last week where the Heat, the Hornets, and the Pacers have thrown different defensive looks at the Bulls and specifically the zone, and, you know, that's that's caused problems. So I'm a little concerned about that, but you know, once they figured it out, I guess, and beyond that six or seven minute period where they couldn't score, they 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 righted the ship and, and got it back together, which was encouraging. So it probably was, I don't know if it was their best win of the season, but maybe their best offensive performance of the season. My turn. Well, Fred, that was where you would naturally come in. But- <laughs> Aren't you going to ask me how I'm doing? No, I don't care how you're doing. <laughs> I'm I, doing great. You didn't Thanks, even Doug. you didn't even join us last week. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, Yes, I thought it was one of the best games of the year, actually, because things got really dark there when they cut it down to four. I mean, really dark. Like, I started thinking about, is this team really going to lose four or five? Is this really going to go down this road where, you know, Cowley and all the other naysayers are going to have their day? And they put Caruso back in and everything was fine. I mean, when that team has Caruso and Ball going – and Levine and you know DeRozan and Vooch, Vooch playing at the level that he did yesterday, I think we can beat any team in the NBA. I mean, that's as good as it gets in terms of a five-man lineup. Uh, defensively, you got two of the best perimeter defenders in the league. You got three guys who can score and draw double teams. That's a mixture for playoff, not just regular season wins, playoff wins, and eventually a title win. Um, as I've been saying for a while, we're one player away. We got a huge issue with our power forward position. We got to figure it out. Maybe P. Will comes back and shows the progress that we were all hoping for. Uh, regardless, we should all be celebrating this team because it looked freaking awesome yesterday when they had it rolling. How much imposter syndrome did you have when that lead went down to four? <laughs> what do you mean? What is imposter syndrome? It's, it's basically like when, when you feel like you don't belong. <laughs> like when you, when you do kind of belong, but you feel like you don't belong. And so like... You feel like as a fan, like this team doesn't really belong. Like it's hard to to buy into it. Like when things go bad, you're just like, ah, they're just going to blow it again. Like you fall back into that old pattern of it's just, just, they're not going to do it. They're just, they're just going to blow this game. They always blow stuff. Fred, you've never felt imposter syndrome, surely. 
I felt the team was a contender in 2018-19, so that should tell you <laughs> <laughs> the imposter syndrome went. I've never really had that feeling, but I, I did feel like if the Bulls blow this game, it went from like 23-4, to four, it seemed like in about a, a flash, like a two-minute period, like it was pretty dark. I mean, Hayward was going nuts. It was really bad, and um, you know, and then you can't help but thinking those horrible thoughts creeping in with how bad they looked against the Rockets and losing games they should have won. But, you know, just with a, a quick, uh, you know, push with Caruso and suddenly things look a lot more rosier. Yeah. I got to say, when it got down to four for a second, I was like, oh, no, here we go again. But the entire time, like up until it got to four, and even it was still at like six and eight, I'm like, ah, it's fine. It's fine. Like their run's going to end. We're going to start off a run. It's going to be okay. But it, it, it takes a while. And even with the Bulls record, you know, I asked this on on Twitter is something came out about like, how good do you think the bulls are? And, and people are like, oh, I'd feel a lot better. Well, Kyle said, I'd feel a lot better if they'd beaten Houston and uh, Portland. I'm like, you know, they're on pace for, I was like 54 wins now. Like how much better could you really feel overall about this team? You don't always win every game that you should win. You don't lose every game that you should lose. And, you know, a quarter of the way through the season, I don't think I could be a whole lot happier with where the team is positioned in seeing them for that stretch with how they look when Vucevic is actually playing well, like really was encouraging. Like if he was able to give us something like that, not six of six from three, that's ridiculous that he'd do that every game, but say it was three of six, say, and, and he scored 21 points instead. He missed three of those threes. Like if he was able to do that, that's not so crazy. Like how good would these bulls be day in and day out if they can actually get good performance uh, from Vucevic? Mark, we'll, we'll start with you. Well, I just want to say I just got done listening to the Big Red Bus before I uh, logged on to this podcast here. And how do you guys feel about it, given that you two are the big Vooch naysayers? Can, can I call you that? You can call <laughs> me that. I don't know if you can call Fred that. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not being Fred into that. Well, well, you, were pretty, you were pretty aggressive against him in, in that podcast that I listened to. I don't think I was anywhere near as aggressively against Vooch as Doug was. I mean, don't throw me into that lot. I know, but I, I think Doug – I think there's some truth to Doug's point. Like, yeah, he, yeah, he was playing terrible. Like, what are we talking about? We're going to deny facts. And it was so irritating, all these people that were coming out of the woodwork to say, see, you know, when Vooch was gone, see, you see how bad things are when Vooch is gone? Yeah, yeah, they're bad because we have a bunch of minimum salary guys playing center and guys that, who are really threes playing center. Yeah, so, of course, Vooch looks a little bit better. But to deny the, the reality that he was playing terrible is, like, bizarre to me. You know, like, I mean, you, you weren't right. You, you were wrong. Doug's right. I'm right. And you're sometimes right. Even too, even you, Mark. <laughs> well, look, Even the, you. The, the thing about the Virch thing Rarely. was, for me, like, <laughs> like you, you, could tell, you could clearly tell this guy was in his own head. And it was, it was more a confidence thing than a, than a skill thing or anything like that. Probably uh, a bit of it as well is just trying to understand where he fits within the offense. And there, there were, even in this game where he was going off for 30 points, there were times where he and DeRozan were getting stuck on the same side of the court on the same block. And they didn't really know who was meant to be posting up or not. So, like, there's still things for them to work out. And, you know, ultimately, I'm, I'm confident it will be worked out because I don't think it's a skill thing. I don't think it's an IQ thing. But it is always good to see when someone is really going through these lulls, these yips, these confidence issues when they hopefully break free of that and I guess that was the the most encouraging thing for me like on a pure human level like I was happy for Vooch that he was able to see some some baskets go down for for, for him just from a pure confidence standpoint now it remains to be seen how 
if, if he's back or not. But um, yeah, at least for one game, I'm glad he, that he had this performance just from a mental standpoint. Mark, can you please elaborate why you're so anti-Vooch in the post? I constantly why? read these tweets and I'm so irritated when I read them because I don't agree with you. Please well, state your case. Well, as I stated yesterday, the Bulls' most efficient post score at the moment is DeMar DeRozan. He's averaging 1.1 points, 1.13 points per possession in the post, which is like fifth in the league, sixth in the league, something like that. Whereas Vooch at the moment is uh, 0.64 points per possession in the post. Now, that's obviously because he's struggling this season, but even last season, he was just over one point per possession in the post. So he's not... He's, he's a fine post player, but he's not a great post player. But I think the way this, the, this specific team is designed, you really have to invert your offense because you need Vooch's shooting because you've got guys like DeMar who not a great shooter, works better in the post, but you've also got uh, other players on there like Javante or Caruso when he's in or Io or Derek Jones Jr., whoever it may be. Like these guys that are maybe can knock down a three here and there, but they're not really guarded like traditional three-point shooters. So just for the the entire functioning of the the overall offense, it doesn't make sense for me to have Vooch just banging away in the post. And I think he's better utilized from a passing perspective as well around that around that the uh, the free throw line and our pass the three-point line. So it, to me, it just makes complete sense. I, I don't understand why you want to see him in the post or get more post touches. I, I don't believe in this theory that getting him more touches in the post will somehow unlock his, his better performances or anything like that. Yeah, I, I'm not against Vooch in the post, and it depends on the matchup. You know, like last last night when he's got P.J. Washington guarding him, you know, I'm fine getting him looks in the post. But I think the best place to get him looks is in the middle of the floor off the pick and roll, and he's able to pass or, you know, put the ball down for one dribble and then get a shot at the basket. I don't necessarily see him as a guy that I need to have his back to the basket throw him in for a traditional post look and, and see what can happen. Now, if you get that occasionally, that's fine. You know, it should be part of the offense that you go to just to mix things up, but it wouldn't be like my, my primary look even for Vooch. I, I think his most effective spot is get to the ball around the free throw line off a pick and roll while he's kind of have some momentum towards the basket. And that, that has yielded a very good pass or a very good shot. I think it's bad crap insane not to throw the ball into Vooch in the post if the matchup calls for it. And yesterday, and I even think against the Heat, the matchup called for more Vooch in the post. I don't think Bam is big enough to bang with Vucevic in the post. And he was he was throwing out – I think he's a good post passer. I think that good things happen in general. I'm not, a, I'm not a numbers expert like you, Mark. But that number that you threw out, is that with the ball going up with Vooch finishing the possession with a shot? Or does that take into effect scores that happen – as a result of a Vooch post pass, that that I don't know. I have to, I would have to confirm that, but I'm assuming it's it, the study's based on post up, so I'm assuming it's him finishing as a post up move. But I I, I would have to confirm that. And I so, so agreed. Like things don't always, you know, with him in the post, he's not, you know, Lou Alcindor, or I mean Kareem Abdul Jabbar, or he's not like elite. I would say is in terms of finishing in the post. But what I think he is elite at is passing the basketball out of the post and passing the basketball in general for a center. I think there's few centers in the league that are better passers than him. And every time he gets the ball in the post, you usually see a double team. That means somebody's going to be wide open. Now it sucks if it's Javante Green, but if if we got a good group out there and we could punish that action, uh, good things usually result. And I'd be shocked if that, if that number is – you know the Bulls are poor on every possession where the ball goes into Vooch and then it goes out of the post. Yeah, but look, here's the thing. Like, 
I mean, Vooch, I don't think Vooch is a, a great post-up player more, more generally. But And like I said, I think DeMar's better at that. So if you want to optimize your offense, then get DeMar more in the post. But like teams are running zones against the Bulls and like putting Vooch in the post against the zone, like he needs to be at that free throw line. He's the perfect zone buster. So if we're talking about Vooch being away from the post like and, and linking that back to what we started off with uh, the half-court offense struggling and a lot of that being because the teams are throwing out zone defenses. Like this is someone like Vooch, who has just amazing passing ability, but also that face-up jumper. Like he's the perfect zone buster for this team. So that, he, that to me is an even more of a reason as to why you would put uh, put Vooch away from the postman. Like even against the Heat, like Stacey King was banging on, on about, and you you just sort of referred to it here about against Bam or against PJ Tucker, that, that uh, Vooch is bigger than these guys and then he needs to take him into the post and score over them. But like, I mean, do we not watch the Heat play defense? It's, it's not a one-on-one type defense. The minute they we threw the ball down into the post, yes, there is a single coverage happening. But the moment that Vooch starts his, his post move, you know, someone from the Heat is rotating down there yes. and you've, got, you've constantly got two or three players on him. Like, so yes, it works from a passing point of view, but we're not talking about passing. We're talking about like Stacey King going to get him going offensively. You need a game uh, against one-on-one matchups against PJ Tucker to score against the smaller guy. And it just doesn't make sense to me. In fairness to Stacey, I don't think that's what he's saying. I think that's exactly saying, what he said. Well, I, I don't think that's exactly what he's saying. I think he's saying you get the ball in the vooch at the post. It does draw a double team. And that's my point against the Heat. You're banging on about, hey, this doesn't work to get him the ball in the post. The reason it wasn't working is because we shot 28% from the freaking three-point line. Does it, You know what breaks the zone? Hitting the outside three. That's what breaks the zone. It's not throwing it into the post. It's not getting it into the middle. It's hitting outside threes will break every zone. And when you're shooting 28% from three, you're going to lose that game. Everybody's talking about how great the zone was against it. It didn't work yesterday. We shot over 40% from three. We scored a season high in points. Don't tell me how good the freaking zone was because it didn't freaking work. It did work. It, 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 it got them back the in the game. What are you talking about? No, no, they, they, what, no, no. Hayward got them back in the game. They couldn't stop them for, for seven straight possessions. And you're, they missed shots in those times. Kobe White did not shoot the ball well. He was over five up until that point. I don't understand why he was playing so much. In fairness to Kobe, he hit a three and the game changed. They were still in the stinking zone. Outside shooting beats the zone. Not anything else. I don't, I don't disagree with that point, but that wasn't the point that I was making. <laughs> All right. We're just going down a, a, a hole here then, I guess. Doug, help us out. I, I, I can't help. I just want to sit by and watch the, the wheels roll off the bus. Wait, sorry. Wrong, wrong show. Wrong show. Um, yeah, I I agree with that the zone has been a problem. I agree that shooting beats the zone theoretically. But I th- you also need passing to beat the zone. Like you know, yeah. And probably one of the things is that we... We don't have enough shooting in terms of guys throwing up shots. Like Zach can yep. shoot. Kobe can sometimes shoot. Vooch proved last night that he can shoot, and hopefully that continues. But Caruso is, is shy to shoot, even though theoretically he has a good percentage at times. And DeRozan is not someone you trust from three. I mean, maybe, maybe I don't know. Just what, I forgot about Lonzo. Lonzo can definitely shoot. After Lonzo and Zach... Like, who do you really trust to be a zone buster on this team? Like, who can, you know, and that does, I think <laughs> Iowa is probably my next guy too, because so many of the other guys, they're too slow to get their shot up or they're just not good shooters. What look at you, Mark, look at Mark Grant at that you, statement. What do you, you think you need to do to beat laughing. the zone, Mark? What do you, how do you think? The well, I, I agree. Like, like you need, you need shooting and you need passing to beat the zone. Like, the, and that's the thing, like Damar and Levine, like the, their first instinct on offense is to put the ball on the floor. And against a zone defense, like you've got to pass through it. 
you got to pass through it and you got to pass, pass through it and to your open shooters and ultimately you beat the zone with good crisp ball movement and, and, and knocking down like corner three specifically against like a 3-2 zone or whatever it may be. But, you know, the Bulls, like I said, like they're a good passing team, but I think instinctively that like, the ball is to put, or the you know, the instincts from a Levine and DeMar point of view is to put the ball on the floor first, which allows the zone to, to recapture itself. And to your point, like there's not a lot of really good shooters on this team. And if Levine is on the ball, then it, that takes away one of you, you could spot up shooters. So I, I, I've been banging on about this all season. The Bulls need more shooting. And I, and I believe that, you know, Kobe and, and Vooch just being a little better from the three-point line is going to solve the issue. I think it's going to remain a problem. It'll be less of a problem, but I think it will still be a problem. But, um, you know, they've, they've got to figure it out, I guess. And I, I have my concerns about the half-court offense that, you know, from a transition point of view, no one can stop this Bulls team. But when you can't get in transition and it's tough, and these, these are the type of games that make me think about the playoffs where, you know, teams are less likely to get into transition or first, first uh, turnovers and steals and blocks the way the Bulls have, have been at times. Like in those types of games where it is more of a half-court offense, that's where I start to worry a little bit. And that's why I think they do need more shooting um, and specifically at probably the power forward position because obviously you're not going to take DeMar off the court. You're not going to get a lot of shooting from him. If you're playing Caruso, you're not going to get much shooting from him. So... I don't know if how you solve this problem, but um, it is a concern. Well, I think you you kind of uh, reflexively hit on the, the biggest issue, which is I know you're both Patrick Williams deniers, but he's a much better shooter than <laughs> the other two options at the power well, forward position. Because you're a Patrick Williams lover, <laughs> aren't you? I, it, when it comes to his three-point shooting, that's one oh, part yeah. of his game I'm a big fan of. And he clearly is a good three-point shooter as a power forward. And if he comes back before the playoffs, he'll be a tremendous help in that respect. But the reason they lost to the Heat, again, it, it was when did they institute the zone? It was the second half of the third quarter. What happened in that quarter? Well, we had any team that is giving major minutes, Javante Green and uh, DDJ, uh, Derek Jones Jr., uh, is going to have problems against the zone. We're going to always be susceptible to it. And in a game when DeRosa went 0 for 4 from 3, Vucevic went 0 for 3, Ball was 3 of 11, Levine was 4 of 10, and Kobe was 0 for 5, you're going to lose that game. It's a miracle to me that we were even close against the Heat when you shoot like that and from the three-point line against that team because they're, you better shoot the three against the Heat to beat them. And so I'm not even really that concerned about it. Crusoe was 3 for 4 from the three-point line. I thought he had a phenomenal game. And I thought we had terrible games from almost every key player outside of DeRozan and Crusoe. And so that's not going to happen again. It's not going to replicate itself. That that bum Vincent, that guy, it'll never have another game like he had against us. And you know, it was just a, it was a fluke game, and we still lost by three. I felt I felt I actually feel pretty darn good about our our chances against the Heat going forward. Yeah, I didn't feel bad about the Heat game. And the one thing I'll say, going back to what you said about Pat Williams a little bit, is he has the same fundamental problem that Vooch and Kobe. Not Kobe, sorry. Uh, Vooch and even guys like Green or Caruso have is that they just are scared to put up shots at times. And maybe Vooch will work his way out of that after this you know, really good game he had and boosted his shooting percentage. But previously, he had started passing out of all of these opportunities for threes. Mm-hmm. And Pat Williams agreed like he's a decent three-point shooter percentage-wise, yep. but he's got this super slow release. He's very hesitant to take it. You know, he's not someone who's going to put up a lot of threes. And, you know, for to perform well against a zone as a shooter, you need to get your shot up very confidently and quickly. And I don't, I don't see Pat Williams really helping with that a whole lot when he comes back. 
to, to me, this is the same argument as that, like we had in 2016 when people were telling me Rajan Rondo shot 37% from three the year before the Bulls signed him or whatever. Like it, it means nothing if your percentage is high, but your volume is low and, you know, def- defenses aren't treating you as a shooter and don't respect you as a shooter. So like you can tell me Io is shooting 40 something percent from three or Javante Green is shooting 38% from three or Alex Caruso previously, you know, is a career 37 or whatever he is percent uh, three point shooter. But if you're doing that on a small volume, and your only attempts that you're really taking are wide open type looks. You're not the defense isn't treating you as a shooter, so that it doesn't really really matter. So you're not really implement or in, affecting the game from the three point line in that sense. So percentage without context of volume or how defenses are guarding you, like it's irrelevant to me. So the Bulls just have too many guys who are non shooters, irrespective of what their percentage is. They need to work that out. Hopefully that happens at the trade deadline. But maybe coming back to a point you were making earlier, Doug, like. At the same time, we need some perspective here. Like, I can whine about the half-court offense. I can be critical of certain aspects of these things. But the Bulls are 14 and 8, the second in the East. They've just come off a, a period of games where they had like 11 games in 18 days. This is the first stretch in like a month where they've had two days off. So, um, we have to keep that perspective. And, you know, I, I try to do that as much as I can. I, I can be... To, to no shock to, to certain people that I can be a bit glass half empty at times. But like sometimes you need to take a step back from these, you know, the minutiae of a single game and realize that actually things are going pretty well, all things considered. So uh, I, I note that that's the point you're making and I haven't lost sight of that. But um, sometimes you can get lost in the weeds when you're thinking about, you know, a singular game. Without looking it up, take a guess who's the best team in the league or give me the percentage of the best team in the league in terms of three-point percentage. I don't know. 36, 37, what would you guess 30%. It is? Probably, I'd, I'd say probably 40%. 30, yeah. yeah. I'd say about pre- 40% is yes. the best in the league. I was shocked about this because in previous years, it actually was 40. This year, the best team in the league is at 38.4%. It's yeah. the Charlotte, Charlotte Hornets. The Bulls are actually third at 37.1. Yeah. Volume is an issue, no doubt about that. The worst team is the – anybody want to take a guess? I'm gonna guess What's it's the, the worst Knicks. percentage. I'll guess it's the Knicks only because that would make you so happy and you <laughs> it's, actually, <laughs> it's actually not. I think they're actually, believe it or not, uh, near the top. It's actually the Detroit Pistons at 29.8%. So this is like a point I make with all my kids I coach. The difference between the best and the worst is basically nine percentage points. So when you look at a player like Io, I know I heard your shot there, Mark, about Io, who's shooting, you know, 42.1% from three. And Javante Green is shooting 38.5%. I agree. They're, both of them are not really demanding a ton of defensive attention. I will if he keeps this up, this rate up into the middle of the season. But both of those guys are – there's a massive difference between a 42% three-point percentage and a 38% three-point percentage. It's massive. And neither guy is really demanding attention. Javante Green is shooting 38% and he's always wide freaking open. So, so you know. is Io. What are you talking about? Io's <laughs> open the whole time. No one cares about him. Well, yeah, he's hitting at forty-two percent. That's a good thing, you know. I, I actually feel Green. people run out at Io. Uh, certainly, that? I think people run out at Io. Certainly more yeah, than Green. No, I don't think so. Absolutely. Thanks, Doug. All right, Doug. <laughs> Damn it, Doug. I, I've seen I've seen <laughs> Io at least take some contested threes. I mean, not like it's not like zero. So I, I, I don't know. I, I, I definitely think there's a difference in their defensive attention. People, you guys want to get a good laugh? Just focus on Javante Green for like five or six offensive possessions and see how the defense pays attention to Javante. I don't think I've ever seen a player attract less defensive attention. Like I said, I, I tweeted this. There's people in the front row that get more attention from the defense. 
sitting courtside than Javante Green does. And he's actually standing on the court. It's amazing. And I wish it was a stat that showed what player has, you know, is crowded the most in terms of defensive attention. It's got to be Steph Curry, right? You know, he gets across the, 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 the half court line. There's probably rarely a time where he doesn't have a defender within three feet of him. Javante's got to lead the league in space between him and the nearest defender. It's got to be about 15 feet. Do you know what's even funnier? When you make an anti-Javante tweet and then immediately after that's posted, he does something incredible like like happened like three or four times yesterday. <laughs> you know, it's even funnier than that when you come up and highlight my tweet with the actual play that Javante makes. <laughs> I, I know don't Doug know. enjoys it. And then we I go don't, back with I don't know how you hate on Green so much. Like, I, <laughs> I just, just don't. Like, I, like, like he's, he's playing, I don't know, what is it, like maybe 18 minutes a game? Seems like yeah, he plays 20 a lot more. Game. 20, 20 minutes a game, shooting 50% from the field, 38% from three. Again, wide open. You know, playing really good defense. <laughs> no. Making, making lots of defensive plays. Oh, yeah, he is. I don't know. I don't even know how you, you argue that. He's very – yes, I can argue it. He's not a great off-ball defender. He's not great. In fact, he gets lost all the time on off-ball defense. He loses men all the time. I don't want to get into the Javante Green hole. Yeah, we're just gonna we're just gonna complain. We're just gonna complain about a minimum salary player who's playing way over his head. <laughs> it's basically because Mark thinks like, he's the second coming of David. You want, you want me to name some other like guys at the minimum who aren't giving <laughs> us what Javante Green is? Like we got. I'm fine. I, we got listen. AJ. I'd say that because I know you can't say Alize, and you might be confused. AJ. We got I'm Troy fine. Brown Jr., who's well above the minimum, and it's just not giving you anything whatsoever. Uh, you know, we got Tony Bradley. I I don't know if you think he's been better than Green or not. I think he has. I think he's a better player and a better answer than Green. I don't know why he's not playing. In fact, our friend NBA Cockside showed that uh, he's part of the Bradley's part of the the best lineup in terms of uh, real plus minus. Um, so I don't know why he's not playing. Real real plus minus is like completely useless until there's stat. like a high level of volume. And like there's no maybe way. Maybe it's net rating. I think it's net rating. It's one of those uh, big yeah, that, stats. That's that also all of those about. stats are useless until there's massive amounts of data that we don't have. And especially right. for a player with so few minutes, it's just completely useless. We got the, Matt Thomas here on the minimum. Uh, I, listen, I can't stand Thomas. Of Matt he should have been cut last week. Let's just throw this out there, though, since we're talking about Javante Green. You still happy he's starting? You still think he should be starting, Doug? I I never thought that he should be starting. I just it's fine that he's starting. It just doesn't well, that's matter. Really hard of my irritation. He's, he's playing. He's playing twenty minutes a game. The fact that you're like so agonizing over the first ten <laughs> minutes of each quarter is like insane. Like it's actually like the least important minutes. All you should care about is who's closing. All that matters is who plays at the close of the game. It's not who plays the first ten minutes of the game. How did the Bulls do in the first ten minutes against the Hornets? They did good. How they it was do fantastic. The heat? It was fantastic. And then how they and do then, against the Heat. And then how did that matter later it by wasn't the end of the fantastic. first quarter? How no, no, against the Hornets. They did fantastic in the first few minutes, right? How did they end the quarter? They're like down by one. Like it just How did doesn't we fall matter. into the Javante Green hole? Let's get because you brought hole. it up. I'm because you brought up the insane you bring up this insane point every show. We need another power forward and you hate Javante Green. <laughs> I promise I will never bring it up again. I, I'm not gonna I, bring it up again. The, I, 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 that, Javante yeah. Green, I just I I find it bewildering so you're bringing it up again that he's in the starting lineup and he gets so much play ahead of Derek jones jr who i think is a superior player can we all agree to that you're bringing it up now right right after you just said you said i'm not going to talk about it and then you just talked about it i'm bringing it i'm ending it now but you're ending it on a question that you want us to answer (laughs) let's stop talking about javante green but please answer my javante green question (laughs) 
I don't, so I don't know where to go with that. I really don't. I, I, I agree that I'd like to see Derek Jones Jr. play more. Maybe we'll see. Yeah, but see, see I, I, I see this narrative forming, at least by certain people on Twitter. I won't name them, even though one of them is on this podcast. <laughs> but like, the reason why, to me, like Derek Jones Jr. has been a revelation for the Bulls this season is because they're using him exactly like a center, like as a role man. Uh, type type center like you can't do that when you have Derek Jones Jr. playing power forward next to Demar who wants to be in the post next to Vuce who wants to be in the post those sorts of things so like in those lineups what you're going to get with Derek Jones Jr. is him sitting in the corner and occasionally cutting baseline so he's going to be playing this exact same role in the exact same positions as Javante Green he's not going to be doing the same things that he's doing when he's in as the backup center so that that uh, critique or that that uh, suggestion bothers me, and really the only the only credible guy to come in at power forward for Javante is Caruso, and I think you can make that argument. But at the same time, like I like Caruso off the bench as well, so uh, it's it's fine. The Bulls need to upgrade the power forward position. We we say we won't talk about this again, but I'm pretty sure we'll be talking about it next week. Let me <laughs> let me add this though. <laughs> I don't see why you can't treat uh, Derek Jones Jr. as the center on offense while you have Nikola Vucevic in the game basically as a floor spacer. Like like well, half of Vucevic's yeah. uh, possessions are out at the three-point line. He's commonly standing out Anyhow, there. Yeah. yeah, you don't you don't need... So I, I, I kind of... I, I mean, I, I get what you're saying. With, with Bradley out there, I think that was much more true. With, with Vucevic out there, I think you could be flexible to play a guy like uh, Derek Jones Jr. at at power forward and still have him kind of have that role where he's just rolling towards the basket. Oh, I mean, Doug, I don't, I don't feel, I don't feel it's, so strongly about it, but I, I mean, I, th- I feel like overall the ratio of, I would, I think Derek Jones Jr. is a little bit better player than Javante Green and he's playing a few, few minutes less. You know, I think that should be more reversed, you know, but I think Javante does have a role on this team and he's been, he's been great for a minimum salary guy stepping in and playing a decent role. Like a guy at the minimum, when you don't have other good players, you're just happy that they contribute. And so we should be thrilled that Green is out there contributing generally positively, even if, you know, maybe he's played five more minutes a game than we'd like. You know, overall, we're, we're very lucky to have him. If he was shit in the bread like, at bed like uh, Troy Brown Jr., we'd be in real trouble. Yeah, all good points. Well, I, I mean, p- part of the reason why DJJ doesn't play more is he, he fouls a lot. Well, so, I, I knew this was I coming. That's, that, that's what I started to talk about. This argument, he falls all the time. Yes, he's guarding centers and power forwards who have 30 and 40 pounds on him. Yes, he's following guys a lot. Yes, that's what he <laughs> yes. does. If he was against threes where he should be guarding, he wouldn't be following as much. This is common sense, for God's sakes. I but mean, I mean, I, we're talking about him playing as a backup center. Like that's where he's been effective. If you're going to start him as power forward, then you're going to that means you're going to play Tony Bradley as your backup center or Javante as your backup center. It means you're going to go bigger and you're going to be less switchable on defense. So there is a push and pull to this thing that people maybe don't consider when they say let's throw Derek Jones Jr. into the starting lineup. I would I, counter that Derek Jones Jr. is arguably the best, most switchable defender on the team outside of Crusoe and Ball. Yeah. So how about this as a solution to your problem, Mark? What if we pulled Javante Green out of the lineup mostly. You play Bradley as your backup center and you play Derek Jones Jr. as your starting power forward. And you do say, yeah, we are, we're now going to play with a real center all the time. Love it. I, I wouldn't want to do that. I, I, I like the fact that they go small. I like the fact that they switch everything. I like that they play with this manic style of basketball. It's their identity. Um, I, maybe matchup-wise, certain matchups against bigger teams. 
like the Jazz, for example, where they've got Hassan Whiteside as their backup center. Like maybe in those occasions, you you, you go to more to a, a Tony Bradley than a Derek Jones Jr. or a Javante. But I like the identity that the Bulls have formed here. This is the one thing that I think, you know, the barometer of the team, when they've got this thing going, that, that identity going, you know what type of team they're going to be and they're, they're extremely hard to beat. So I don't really like it. I don't want them to really to go big. And if anything, I prefer them being small. So um, that's just generally how I feel about it. Yeah, it's funny. Fred's shaking his head. So have, well, have your they're word, not even Frederick. really small. That's the fallacy in the argument. They're very big in the backcourt. It's not a true small. That's I, I keep. I always hear this. It's then why are you always talking nuts. about they need to grab a beak. I like Bradley. I think Bradley should be playing more. I don't. I, he's a fine backup center. He should be playing more. Every lineup that Bradley is in has a positive net rating. Every advanced statistic says Bradley should be playing, and yet. For whatever reason, I, sh- I don't want to rip on Donovan, but it drives me nuts how he's throwing out green continually to satisfy Marquet and his desire for a small, <laughs> quote-unquote, small lineup. It drives me nuts. The Bulls, when Javante Green is on, have a, a, a plus 4.6 net rating. So, like, the, he's not he's playing with four the- starters. Well, then you just said he's hurting the team. He's not. It would be a plus 8 if they were starting DJ. <laughs> 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 I get that Oh god! I think I think what you say every 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 every, uh, advanced stat I think is just like the one that you know. Yeah, which is none. (laughs) Which is one I saw a guy on Twitter. The one that is like needs massive sample size that doesn't exist. Doug, I consider rebounds to be an advanced stat. stat. (laughs) Offensive rebounds, defensive rebound percentage. That's right. Offensive is the advanced stat. Is the advanced stat? That's when the box scores got wild and we split them from. <laughs> yeah, man. Points right, per well, minute. That's next? the advanced one. Is points per minute, Mark? Points per you game. Guys, Everyone knows that. Points you guys want to hear my story that ties into the uh, the bull season? Uh, I I love. I want to hear this story because I don't know what it is. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but Fred told me the greatest story that has ever been told. <laughs> what are you talking about? You Which know you exactly want? what I'm talking about. There's oh, only one story. story. Yeah, yeah, but I, I told that on the show before. Well, I'll say that. I think we'll everybody's say, probably heard that story. I don't think. I, outside of you. I had not heard that story before. There's no way everyone's heard that story before. That story's got to be told. But all right, we'll, we'll save Future that show. for a different Future show. show. Christmas Ju- episode. Christmas episode. Christmas. Future show. <laughs> yeah. All right. I don't know which of you wants to go with the random stories to close. Uh, if, if Mark well, is I've your got story. A, good. I've got a story um, about Fred, which was given me to a source. And I want this confirmed and denied on the podcast. So this was uh, an interesting one, Fred. I, I, I'm interested to hear your uh, rebuttal to this. But a source has told me Boy, directly that um, <laughs> at an office Christmas party a few years ago, and by few years, it is maybe 15, 20 years ago, but there was an office Christmas party. There's about 100 people there. And you, as you typically do, insisted on playing guitar and singing a song to everyone. <laughs> And the song that you started singing about had something to do with a, a yellow beetle bug car and <laughs> it being covered in yellow page of graph or wraps and graphics and I don't know, so it has something to do with an ex-girlfriend coming in it later on as well. So is this a true story? Can you I'm confirm guessing, with an eye and I'm maybe elaborate? I guess I'm guessing it's Tom O'Malley who told you that story. It's well known amongst uh, my friends. Yes, well, for, I, a I can't year, for a year, I was complaining. So th- just to give a little background, I was covering three offices in the Chicago metro area. And my job was basically internet sales. So I was promoting yellow page reps in around 2000 <laughs> to sell the internet, which is difficult in itself. And I was continually complaining about the miles I was putting on my car. So the, the, the head of the marketing department says, listen, I'm sick of hearing from you. 
<laughs> and <laughs> I'm going to send you a car that you're going to drive to all these different offices. So the car shows up. It's a yellow Beetle. Do you know what like a Volkswagen Beetle is? Uh, it was a yellow Beetle with a picture on the hood of like a, it was called, they actually named it Starlight. So it had a face and a flower pot. So I was driving around to the Chicago metro area in this stupid Volkswagen Beetle car. And the adventures that happened to me in this car are beyond belief. Like it, my, the tire blew out at uh, in three o'clock on I-55 and people were yelling, nice car, dipshit. Nice <laughs> as I'm changing the tire. I ran into my ex-girlfriend from like high school while I'm filling it up with gas. She's like, what is up with this car? I mean, the, the stuff that happened to me, like, how do you tell some of your success in life when you're driving a literally a clown car? So he's referring to that. I wrote a song about it too. Uh, and I, I have a recording of it somewhere. So it's really well, hard to, to make this entertaining without seeing the car. So I'll try to find a picture of it. Uh, I want to hear sense? this recording. Uh, it's a great I, I certainly want to hear that. Well, maybe we can put that on the end of the show one day. But further to that, like, I mean, who is in charge of this company to make you like the main <laughs> salesperson from like an IT sense. point? <laughs> Your problems with just general it IT. Basically went out of business. <laughs> it it says a lot. It, says it was a lot. the it greatest lot job sense. ever, though. I basically every morning I was like 21 or 22 and I basically would just go and they would give me like half an hour to talk to a whole group of salespeople about the Internet. <laughs> I swear to God, I made up about half of the talk every week. Based on the technical uh, skills you've shown on the show, that does not surprise me in any way whatsoever. Are you sure it's not 100% of the talk? <laughs> there you go. Now, uh, let me tell you my story. Uh, thanks, Tom, for telling everyone that one. And it was very entertaining that I, I, I wrote a song about it that I will share with you later. But here's a story, true story that happened to me in college. And I, I'm going to compare this to the bull season. You ready for this? It's very comparable. I don't think that I'm ready at all. Okay. I think Stephen Noah's got his animation software out. No, we're gonna see. no we're more gonna of see. that. Please stop. We're going to see how that goes. <laughs> so there was this place called The Coffee. I think I might have told the story to you, Mark, before, but there, it's a little bit more complicated uh, now that, uh, you know, believe it or not, I forget a lot of things. And I had a recent, um, I ran up with an old college roommate of mine who reminded me a lot of stuff that happened and I totally forgot about. So here we go. There was this place called The Coffee House. It was a place where people, fake hippies, would go up and sing folk songs, you know, like Bob Dylan and stuff and a lot of these lame acoustic songs about love and meadows and all that dumb stuff. And so I said I wanted our band to play there, which in college was called Wanted Tension. And we were going to play Metallica and Guns N' Roses. <laughs> but nobody knew. Nobody knew. Nobody knew. So, like, anyhow, we were the last one on the on the, on the the docket Friday night. And we went up there. So I had this guy, Pat Kiner, best guitar player ever, one of my lifelong friends. Played with him in Giggle Water. He came up and flew up. And then this other guy, Tim, who plays drums. And we opened up with Metallica Enter Sandman. And literally 200 people in this coffee house, their heads exploded. It was like one of the best. You know, the guy who just got off literally was doing some dumb song by, you know, Joan. Uh, what's, what's that? 60s singer, folk singer, Joan Baez. <laughs> went from know. Joan Baez to Metallica. We did Metallica. We did Used to Love Her by Guns N' Roses and Knock on Heaven's Door. And this place is going insane. It was like the greatest, one of the best nights I've ever had on stage. People are going nuts. So this happened like in October. Remember, bull season, early October, this show happens. So now people are excited about the next show, which is going to be in December. So anticipation builds, builds. We sell it out. It was 200 people. There were 400 people there. There's a line there. And we're about ready to go on. 
And the drummer, Tim, was in a frat. And unfortunately, he was drinking heavily all day. So he showed up at the, the gig drunk. We were the last show to go on. And anyhow, the coffee house was adjacent basically to my dorm room. So we're le- walking down the dorm room. And Tim is ju- drunk. So he's jumping up. I can't wait to do this. We're going to rock the coffee house. going to rock the coffee Jumps up. Hits his head on the concrete ceiling somehow, which is like nine feet high. And he literally, there's just like a river of blood pouring from his head. And I'm holding him like Rocky when Apollo died, when he was killed by Drago. Um, (laughs) On our way to the stage. Like literally we're walking to the stage. So like, what do you do? What would you do at this moment, Doug? I have have no idea what I would do (laughs) at this moment, Fred. I got got no clue. (laughs) What would you do? Well, so literally there's people, a whole auditorium of people you, are you gotta cancel <laughs> well, no, ask for a drummer what, in the crowd I mean, that's I what we did. yes that's what we did so I, I i dragged them back up to my room not knowing what to do he's basically knocked out with blood all over him i got blood on my shirt and well, people are chanting and anyhow i left him there with my sister uh take care of him you know put a ice pack on his head not that, that really helped and then thinking like after it was over, we'd get, but anyhow, we go on the stage and we open up with our Sandman without a drummer. We don't have a drummer. Do you know how bad that song sounds without a drummer? Anyhow, we do that song and people are like, what is going on? <laughs> after two songs, I go, does anybody know how to play drums? The guy raises his hand. He comes up on stage, literally the worst drummer in the history of like <laughs> of any instrument goes on stage. We play higher ground. People start getting like angry. You see people like leaving. I said, I'm going to salvage this. I'm going to call my roommate, Rick Oswald. Everybody loved him. Rick, we're going to do I'm a Rock by Simon Garfunkel. Just me and him because we don't have a drummer. And I forgot how to play it. So I literally choked on stage. I, I don't know how to play it. Rick's singing basically, uh, uh, you know, by himself. And then the show ends. So it went from this greatest night of my life to one of the worst nights of my life. This anticipation, the excitement, all, you know, ends up in this pile of disappointment and blood. This doesn't sound like a good tie-in to the Bulls. Well, I thought of, I thought I thought about this when they cut it to four. When they cut it to four, <laughs> because I was like, "Oh my god, this is exactly what happened with all this great, you know, beginning of the season. Everything was going great, and it leads up to this moment where they blow it and lose four out of five, and the whole season goes down the drain, just like this show. And so, anyhow." Everything worked out fine because Tim, we took him. He got it like 15 stitches in his head. He was fine. He, he, But, you know, we never were able to. It was just a massive disappointment to go from a huge promise early in the year. Does this make sense? Do you see what I'm doing? Yeah, here? you're right. This sounds exactly like the Bulls season. <laughs> so so the, the Bulls are going to be terrible and we're going to miss the playoffs. I don't know. Is that where you're going with this? No, that's how, that's I, how I, I get out of this, this story. Tim is um, representative of Patrick Williams. So he was out... <laughs> He was out. We didn't live. And up. then the team collapsed. <laughs> I, I, don't I don't. Maybe I, I had a better analogy to this thing. Than, uh, Can I, I just know say why. that uh, I've actually heard this story. You told me this story on Bulls HQ maybe a year ago, and I didn't have the heart to tell you or stop you just then to to stop you because I know you 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 love telling your stories and you're on a momentum. But you have told me that story before. <laughs> okay, there we go. I <laughs> I've not I've not you. heard that story before, but I just. <laughs> I don't know how you can tie this into the Bulls. I'm in any tying way it into I don't want to. End, I don't want this Bull season to end up at the coffee house where a drummer bleeding to death in his bed, and just have a massive disappointment. And where if, we're if playing we, uh, Enter Devonte Green, <laughs> we'll be saved. We're playing Enter Sandman without a drummer. That's all I'm saying. I think I, I felt 
at times in the past week, like I did after that second show, that you know the anticipation didn't live up to where it was supposed to be. Does that you know, make I, sense? I got to say, for the profit, you're really, really down. Yeah. I mean, like Mark and I are, are like lifting, having to lift you up. We have to yeah, provide the positivity on? of this show. If we would have lost last night, that would have been four out of five games, right? We would have blown a 23-point lead. We we stepped away from it. Uh huh. I don't want to be there again. So what was don't the, do this What was me. the final score last night, Fred? Well, they, I mean, I'm saying we're, we're not there yet. I just don't want this season what to was end the like final the coffee score? house. I, I can't game? remember. They won by like 15 or 13. Is that right? Yeah. So like a nail biter. That they okay. barely pulled out by 14 points. <laughs> One more thing about the uh, <laughs> my tips from last week about the uh, acoustics, the the seduction, holiday uh-huh. seduction. One, two things I didn't mention. You know when you say you sing in this uh, air supply song and you say you, f- you stop it when you get to the part where they go, "What are you thinking of?" You know that part? Yeah, yeah. You can't. You got to do it quick. You can't let her tell you what she's thinking of because it might ruin it. That's right. Okay. Okay. That's what I was doing wrong. Oh, okay. yeah. <laughs> man, that's a big part. That's I was I, part. I was on my fourth guitar, and now I now <laughs> no. I realize where all the mistakes were made. <laughs> you guys say, "What are you thinking of?" You take off the sweater immediately, throw it in the, into the fire. The other point is, the, the fire has to be made of the sweater has to be made of natural fibers. If it's not, you could have issues. You could have, God forbid, you could have a you know toxic toxic smoke in the cabin. There could be some terrible things that could happen if that sweater is not of natural fibers. Alrighty, I got uh, I got one more short topic to bring us back slightly on on track before we oh, shut this down. How long are you giving Kobe White? Oh, here we go. Well, am I singing air supply songs to him, or what's the no, what's the just, deal? Just how long are you giving him more rotation minutes than I owe? Is he our drummer? Is that what you're trying to say? <laughs> I don't know. I'm just asking. I'm just asking. How long are you giving Kobe White more minutes in the IO if he continues to play the way he's played so far? Which is, I don't know, maybe like one good game every four games or so. I don't know how many games he's played. He's had two, two decent games so far. And the rest of them, it's not like they're just like they're okay. They're mostly just train wrecks. So how long are you giving Kobe White when he's giving you a good game every four games and a train wreck three out of four games? Start with you, Mark. Well, I mean, you keep riding him at the moment. Like they're they're not suffering. I know. I know. Games? Well, I mean, I I I would base it on ten game blocks and see how that's how that's how that's going at the moment. When he's on the floor, they're they're outscoring their opponents, so that's okay. You're not you're not he's not necessarily bringing things. If you had someone in there, maybe they would be uh, you know adding to that. But you're not necessarily hurting a ton, let's say. And I know there will be certain people listening to this that maybe disagree with that point, but. It's really important for this team that they get Kobe going. So maybe that maybe maybe that means now in certain games you sacrifice points or you you know you potentially for whatever reason these certain lineups they they, they may be functioning better. But I'm prepared to live with them now, uh, given that the Bulls are playing the way they are now. If it was a different story, they were losing games. He was clearly costing the team, and there was no way to overcome how bad he was. Then maybe my point would would be a little bit differently. But given how important I think he is to this second unit, and we talked about zone busters and the shooting aspect of this team, like Kobe is very important for both of those things. Like I would continue riding it out, continue just, you know, 
taking your lumps on that. And because occasionally he will have a game like yesterday where he was really bad for a stretch, but then all of a sudden he scores five points, does a couple nice things on defense, and then he not alone changes the game, but, you know, he contributes to that. And I mean, we saw it against the Magic as well, where he had that 20-point game. Like, I would keep assisting with it. I know uh, certain people want want to see Io playing a little bit more, but I, I just think the upside of Kobe means a lot to this team. So I would persist. So I'm going to say that it's possible he already cost you two games. You know, you lost a couple of close games that Kobe was just god awful in. So the Heat game yeah, the, was pretty bad. The Heat game was really bad. The Rockets game, he was really bad. Yeah. So, you know, I yeah. Look, I'm not going to put that on Kobe. Sorry. I'm not saying you have to. I'm just saying it's it's arguable that if you didn't play him and you played IO, you might have won those games. I'm saying it's a hundred percent. But certainly, two games that we lost that were close games, he was yeah. god awful in. And if you if you had Io in and he played the way he's generally played, you would have maybe won either of those games. And I'll I'll say you probably would have won one of the two of those games. And so I, I guess, and like I said, you're sort of avoiding my question. Maybe not entirely, but like, say he just keeps doing this. It's ten games from now. Would you still go with it? Yeah, I would. I would. I, so I'm 20 games? so long as the results are still the as they are, where the Bulls are winning games and they're still you know hovering around that that second or third place in the East, then I would continue to wear it and see if he can get right. Like so I, as long I think as, there's as more long upside as the to be had. Team results are yeah. steady. So no, they lost three of five. Losses is where you go. Let's not lose perspective. It's it not great. on him. I mean, if you want to talk about the Heat game, you want to blame Kobe for that. What, let's let's talk about Vooch. Let's talk about Zach Levine, who was. Zach had the worst game of his season that game. But, I like, agree. Their, their minutes and their impact. And, and yeah, if, absolutely. If you want to I'm not saying it, Kobe's like, the number one thing, but he's the number one consistently bad thing. Like, you, yeah, you sure. wouldn't say, like, I'm going to swap out Zach Levine because overall I might win more games. Like, <laughs> you know true. that no, that's no, no, not no, going to happen. I'm just more like, referring Kobe, to Kobe like, White, you very much might say that. Like, well, the thing is now you have, you have a legitimate option. That's the thing. Like, you have Io, who they're basically very similar players. I think Io is a better defender. You know, I, I I I do agree that Kobe's played much better defensively this year. I still think Io's a better defender, and you know, I'd say Kobe probably over right now. I'd have more faith in him shooting the ball well, even though he hasn't shot it well long term. But you know, how many more games are you going to go like this where Io's still shooting forty plus from three, and Kobe's at what twenty five percent? I don't know where he's at for the season. I don't have it in front of me, so, but it can't be good. So, Fred, how about you? I mean, and you might I'd give it ten more like, games. I'd give it ten more games. I'd give it ten more games before I'd significantly reduce his role. Um, and I, I, I don't agree with you, Mark. That I think it's very clear to me with Kobe, he's either on or he's not. Like to me, he's that's he's that kind of player. Yeah, maybe late, you know, late in the game, he might hit a few shots after going over four, over five. But to me, he seems much more like a player who's really hot, who's really not. And I yeah, think but- if you. I think you should – I don't understand why Billy is really – He's. I don't think Io played at all in the second half of the Heat or the last game against Charlotte, and I don't know why he's doing that. Oh, I mean, yesterday against the Hornets, like, I don't disagree that Kobe's a hot and cold type player. Like, you, that that I do agree. Like, he's a streak shooter, but, like, in that streaks could come game to game, but it could come within a game, and we saw that against the Hornets yesterday where he was – you know, not necessarily having a good game, and then all of a sudden he hits back-to-back baskets, and you get five points that you weren't getting previously, and you get him at a, at a key point. And we, we saw that against the Knicks, where he had that three was it three three quarter um, three three point shots in the in the fourth quarter there that was you know significant in the team winning that game. So 
you know, these mm-hmm. types of players, they, they are frustrating. They, you know, in game to game, they're frustrating. They, they can be streaky game to game or even in game, as I mentioned. So, uh, look, I, I would persist with it because I think there's more upside in, in Kobe, whether that's for just for the rotation itself, the, the fact that what he brings will really help this team. But even if you're thinking about trades and those sorts of scenarios, like you have to showcase him some. So if you're putting him on the bench, you're taking him out of the rotation and you're, you know, you, you play Troy Brown more minutes or you give Io more minutes or whatever the situation is, like that doesn't bode well from a, a trade standpoint either. So I would persist. And like I said, as long as the, the team are outscoring opponents when he's on the court, which is happening, and so long as the Bulls continue to win games, then, um, you know, keep doing it. He was two of seven yesterday shooting, by the way. Yeah. I will uh I will give Kobe I'm with I'm with Fred. You got ten more games to find your way. If not, you know, I just don't think there's enough time for him to really even raise his trade value that much. You know, like where are you maybe 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 fifteen games, then I just start playing Io and see how he does. Start developing Io for the playoffs, give him more minutes, give him more experience, let him let him learn what he needs to do. Yeah, look uh it's not it's not something I'm super passionate about, to be honest with you. Like I, I don't really care, but like for me, it is what it is. Like I would just keep rolling with him. But I mean, Fred, like yes, last year you were predicting Zach and and Kobe being the uh, the, the Portland East uh, in terms of <laughs> Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum. Are we putting that plan on on hold for now? Like just now, it's <laughs> Io and, and Zach. <laughs> yeah, now it's, now it's Io and Zach. Yeah, uh, well, I don't want to say I'm putting it on hold. I mean, I still believe in Kobe. I don't think he's going to play this bad for all all season. I think he's you know coming back from a major injury. That's why I said 10, 10 more games is. It's a long time, dude. Yeah, and it's not yeah. it's not ten more games, and then he gets zero. Yeah, it's ten more games, and then you start saying like, maybe we don't need to give you twenty minutes a game, regardless of how well you're playing. Now you kind of need to play well to get those twenty. minutes. I would just switch Io and and Kobe's minutes minutes if he keeps this up for ten more games. That's all I'm saying, and I think that's what Doug is saying too. Yeah, more or less. It's at this point we're good enough that you have to show me something. I agree with you. Like the best case scenario is you get Kobe turned around, regardless of whether you want to keep him or trade him. The best case scenario is to get him turned around. And same with like Vucevic, who who now was turned around for one game, and hopefully he he's able to build on that. And the the weird confidence thing he seemed to have going, hopefully, is gone. But your best case scenario is to just have those guys turn it around. So I, I hope that happens. But at some point. With Kobe, I'm willing to say, all right, this is just a sunk cost. You know, Vooch, you just have to roll with it. There's no there's no other option. You're not going to be able to trade him for something really good. You're not going to go to Tony Bradley and get better results. Even Vooch playing poorly is by far the best center on the team. So you you roll with that the whole season. Kobe, to me, it's just a decision at some point. We'll, we'll ask again in 10 games, and hopefully the question will be moot because Kobe is just destroying everyone and, you know, has three 30-point games in a row again and, you know, proves, proves he can – Play well. Well, I mean, the irony here is Frederick last last season was getting on me for being a Kobe hater. The fact that I didn't like him as a uh, a starting point guard, and here I am defending Kobe, saying he should continue playing. I mean, just it's interesting how the uh, the uh, the tables have turned. Some. <laughs> well, we we were well, able to change our views based on new evidence. That <laughs> exactly. Of us. exactly. <laughs> just like Joe Colley. Joe Colley has the same evolution yeah. that uh, you had. So it's amazing how similar you guys are on their team. So you're saying Joe Cowley is defending Kobe White? I doubt that without reading any columns. My <laughs> he guess seems is, to be more pro-Kobe than uh, he maybe, was. Maybe Joe Cowley sounds like you, Fred. Maybe you sound like Joe Cowley. <laughs> maybe I need to write a song about how my life's like. My we all, we all like sound Joe. like Cowley once in a while. All right, there's no saving there's no saving this uh this show anymore. So we're 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 gonna cut it. 
uh, unless someone has an amazing story they need to throw, but I'm going to. No, I, I got to get going. I got to coach. And yeah, I'd love to get your feedback on some of these stories because I'm not sure if that was a good story or not. I, th- I thought uh, it was yeah. good. I thought it was a good analogy. Before. I thought it was a good analogy for the bowl season, and I think very intelligent people got it. It, it, it sounds like a good analogy to your mental state during one game <laughs> for like 30 seconds. <laughs> that took you 10 minutes to tell. But otherwise, yeah, it was, it was great. All right, that, that'll wrap so. up for, for this edition of the Bulls Beat. Uh, for Mark and Fred, uh, we'll uh, talk to you guys. Natural wool sweaters. Natural. <laughs> Thanks Take for throwing guys. that in there. <laughs>